And as soon as I did it, invitations started to come. And I had just miraculous experiences from these invitations. It wasn't like some guy inviting me out on a date. It was like the the editorial board of the newspaper that served our whole very giant county. Um, they invited me to be on the editorial board for a year. And wow, it was a totally new and different experience and met all kinds of people. And that that was just the start. Then it was one thing after another, after another, until I, I finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm living a totally different life. I love it. Uh, I'm happy. And I, I can get through this. I'm not going to be sitting around feeling sorry for myself for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to be a victim. What story are you telling? Whether you're intentional about it or not, you have an audience and they think in story. The Doug Thompson podcast features diverse storytellers sharing their practical tips for telling the story they need others to envision and trust in order to take a new action. Here's your host, Doug Thompson. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Doug Thompson podcast. And just to prove that we are not Texas specific, I've got with me a host only from Hawaii, which is the other part of the day. It's almost like the other part of the world. Anyway, Emily Thoreau Threat, how are you doing this morning? Morning for you, Emily. How are you? Yes, <laughs> I'm just great. It's a beautiful day. Good. It, it, you know, I have gotten to the age where any day that I haven't assumed room temperature, I think that's a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get it that way. So, how, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a writer. I have written most of my life, and I've taught writing at the university level for many, many years. I, I still do teach on the mainland, even though I live in Hawaii, since we can do that all online. And I, I love to write. And when I found myself at a loss of what I was supposed to do next after I had two husbands die, I turned to writing and teaching other people how to write to help them deal, deal with their grief and ultimately uh, writing my book. That's, uh, you know, I want to go back to two husbands dying. That's, that's a lot because you're not that old. I mean, you know, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people you have one pass and for some people it's a traumatic event, but two, that's, that's gotta be pretty tough. It, it was, um, it was tough. It, most definitely. I was married to Jacques for 22 years and we had a, a great marriage and we were always happy, you know, lots of good things going on in our lives. Uh, we laughed a lot and we did a lot of things together. It was, it was really great. And the last two years of his life, he had a really significant decline, and I stopped everything else I was doing to stay home and take care of him. So after he died, I thought, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> it was, you know, as much as I love Jacques, I, I didn't want to repeat that experience because I, I remembered all the good times, but the, the last couple of years were really hard. And then I met Ron. <laughs> Not anticipating that that was going to happen, not thinking I'd ever fall in love again, but I did. And we were together for 10 years and he was wonderful. I learned so much about life and what's important and what's not. And it, it was a great relationship. And then the last two years of his life were very similar to the 
the last two years of Jacques' life, and they both died of the same thing. Wow, that's 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 rare. I mean, you you sort of hit upon the uh, the you're definitely an outlier there with two dying from the same thing of that. And just my dad died when I was a senior in high school. He died of lung and it was you know the last year or so it wasn't really him it was uh he was on so much morphine and stuff and and it's just tough and i watched my mother go through that um but it does teach you something and, and i think this is where we get with your books and stuff on that that it does teach you that we all go at some point in time and that we need to appreciate the days where we're alive and we have those Absolutely. That's that was the the beauty about my relationship with Ron is we very much lived in the moment. And by learning how to do that after he died, after you know, the first few weeks were in a different zone. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, I could start focusing again on being in the moment. And in that moment, everything was fine. Uh, and, and did you get caught in in the story? you're telling yourself a story of, of, of like a lot of people do with grief of it's a little bit like the poor pitiful me. What am I going to do? I can't, I can't, you know, I won't, but well, the one time you said, you're never going to love again. And you did. So obviously there's, you know, there's multiple chapters of story. How did you sort of work yourself through that piece? Well, with, with uh, Jacques, I did tell myself a lot of the victim story, you know, why, why us, why me, why did it have to be that way, that, that sort of thing. And it didn't serve me, you know, it didn't help me a bit. It kept me kind of um, pinned down. I was upset because people weren't contacting me. And then I realized, well, I'm not contacting anybody. <laughs> and why would they want to be around me when I'm being so such a Debbie Downer? So I, when I started getting past that and realized that I could do something positive and that I, I wanted to, and then I was the person who had to step up and make a difference in my life. Nobody else was going to do it for me. And I did that kind of ironically by a new year's resolution because when it got to be new year's, um, Jacques had died in February. And when new year's came, I felt like I was in about the same place as I was when he died. And I knew I didn't want to stay there, but I didn't know how to take the next step forward. And I'd made New Year's resolutions in the past. And, they, you know, after the first couple of weeks, they're gone, like most people. So this time I'm, I decided I'm going to focus on one thing. And I didn't know what it was, but I decided I was going to focus on one thing. And then it came to me what to focus on, and that was to accept invitations. Now, that was... Um, bizarre <laughs> because I thought, why am I thinking this? Nobody's inviting me anywhere. And I thought, no, this came to me so strong. I'm going to do it. And as soon as I did it, invitations started to come and I had just miraculous experiences from these invitations. It wasn't like some guy inviting me out on a date. It was like the, the editorial board of the newspaper that served our whole very giant County. Um, they invited me to be on the editorial board for a year. And wow, it was a totally new and different experience and met all kinds of people. And that, that was just the start. Then it was one thing after another, after another, until I, I finally said, you know what? I'm, I'm living a totally different life. I love it. Uh, I'm happy. And I, I can get through this. I'm not going to be sitting around feeling sorry for myself for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to be a victim. Oh, is, do you think, you know, I, I've had similar experiences where 
it seems like out of the blue and I've not been able to go back and trace that there were things before I just didn't see them. I know, I know sometimes in my life, it's sort of like buying a new car. You think, no, I never see it. Then you buy it. Then all of a sudden everybody's driving it. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the law of attraction. I I think we do attract, um, from a vibration perspective, we set our mind right to be open to the opportunities that come there, right? They may have been there all along, but we just didn't see them or, ignored them or sometimes people weren't ready yeah we weren't ready to see them and i think the process of working through your grief there we all need that to sort of heal and 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 go on to the next one you have to accept the things and and then once the new year's resolution is funny uh you're right we've all set those things and like if you make it two weeks that's a long time for a lot of yeah (laughs) Uh, dan pink has a theory that you know it's it's a human thing that we like to start on like the first of something because it's just something we can as humans, we can have a concept. This is the first, it's a starting period. It's a natural place to do that. First of the week, first of the month, first of the year. But I'm glad that worked out. And, and you had these opportunities and coming onto the editorial board and, and going on from there. Um, the teaching of writing. So this brings back bad memories of when I was in high school, but <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and maybe it's the grammar part, but hopefully you don't do the grammar part of that. But how do you teach people to write? Cause I, I have a problem cause I've got books in my head that I'm probably going to have to just dictate them and have them come out. Cause I'm not disciplined enough to sit down and write even like 500 words. I've talked to people, you know, just write 500 words of anything because my mind edits at the same time as trying to be creative. And as I understand it, those are two separate processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I, I do lots of different things with writing because if you, you, all of us have this little uh, monkey mind in our head that bounces around and tells us all the things that we can't do or we shouldn't do or we won't do. And that, that sort of thing happens. And, and uh, frequently people say, and I can't write and I can't figure out what to write about and I don't have anything to say. And as long as you're saying that, nothing's going to come out that's worth reading. Right. So what I do uh, and have always done, even when I taught on ground as opposed to online, like I've been doing for years now, is at the beginning of class, I have them get out a pen and paper or a notebook or something and write, just start writing anything that comes into their head. The key is to not uh, stop writing. Once you start, you keep going. And you do that for like five, seven minutes. By five or seven minutes, you run out of things to say, but you come up with a bunch of garbledy gook, all those things that I just said, I can't write, I can't do this, I don't know why I'm wasting my time, you know, all that. But once it gets out of your way, then your mind's open and you can be creative and you can write about what you want to write about. And that's, that's another key too, is write about things that you are interested in, that you have a story to tell, and then it, it comes. That's, you know, I, I've, I've, I've have written a few things. I mean, I, I think the best thing I wrote, I had a couple of glasses of wine and maybe that took place of the, of the monkey mind. I passed yeah. a bit. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. Um, but, but I, 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 I do have a mind gets distracted and sit down and focusing. And sometimes it's not that I can't, cause I have something I want to say, but the editor comes back in while I'm doing it. So sometimes writing the opening sentence is something that that I struggle with. And once I get that out of the way, then it sort of flows. But again, it's, 
uh, what, what do you have to sort of put that thing on pause? <laughs> well, well you've got to deal with your editor and that, that you can do with your, your free writing that you do before you start writing too and say, you can talk to him, have a conversation, say, you know, I know that you're looking out for my best. I know you want me to do what you want me to do, but this is my writing and I'm going to do it. And it's time for you to take a well-earned break. You've, you've been talking so much and guiding me so much that um, you, you need to relax a bit. So go over and have one of those glasses of wine, sit in the corner, and I'll let you know when I'm through. That's, that's, that's a good, I, I will try that. I will try that approach and reason with it because I do have that. That you know, It wants to be really, really good because it has it in this mind and, and it, it's, it's a battle of minds with that. So how do you, is, is like journaling one of the exercises that you do? I mean, is that something that you recommend? Yeah. Journaling is is one of the ones that I recommend. Um, guided journaling, where you write about that's what I do every, every day. The first thing I do in the morning is write uh, three pages of kind of specific things that I go through that kind of starts my day. It gets everything all set in place, and that really helps me. And I can tell you the one thing with grief, the exercise or practice, if you'd call it, that people like the best. Um, they're always kind of surprised by, but I have them write a letter to whoever it was that died and tell them anything that they want to tell them. A lot of times there was something left unsaid that you need to say. Other times you really wonder what they think about something that you're doing right now. Um, or you really miss them, whatever it is, write whatever it is you want to say and, and get it all out. And when you finish it, sign and put dear at the top dear to whoever it is and at the bottom you know with love or love forever whatever it is the way you sign it and then sign your name and after you do that you start another letter and the second letter is to you from the person that you wrote the first letter to and just see what comes out and it it's usually pretty phenomenal I had, I had uh, one of my coaches give me this exercise. It's an acting exercise, but it's, it's to help is, is interview myself mm -hmm. and play both sides of the dialogue uh, to, to go on. So it gets to, he says, narcissists don't have a problem with it because they had talk about themselves for a while, but those that are truly reflecting and stuff. It's a challenge to, to mm -hmm. have ongoing dialogue from both sides. So that's, it sounds similar to that. And it's, one is a catharsis in that you mm -hmm. get that off your chest that you didn't get to say that to them, but this is a way of getting that out. Cause I've written a lot of angry emails to something that, that I never sent just mm -hmm. to get it out of my system. And I, you know, I never sent it. I purposely leave the name and stuff off. So I don't do that accidentally, but it does help getting it out. And, and is that, I mean, what, is that just simply a, a coping mism therapy? Is it free your mind of all that baggage? Well, it, yeah, it's that monkey mind again. You know, as long as you're struggling with the one particular issue and it's bouncing around in your mind, it's going to continue bouncing around in your mind until you do something about it. And doing something like if, if you want to write an email to somebody that's angry or that you want to tell them like it is, I suggest writing it on paper because then you can't accidentally send it. <laughs> you yeah. know, address it just like an email, you know, do, do everything like an email, but, but do it on paper. <laughs> Yeah, uh, probably, uh, my handwriting's so bad, though, I may not understand exactly. Did I get it all out? Did I get all the anger? <laughs> but you don't need to worry about that because nobody's going to read it anyway. This, this is true. This is true. So it, it sounds like, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, so sort of your, your grief to happiness process here 
is you have to work through that grief and let it go. You have to get it out of your system and just let, you can't you can't compartmentalize it, uh, or you'll constantly, the monkey mind will keep going back there. It sounds like. Well, not exactly. Okay. Uh, a lot of people ask when grief is going to be over, or how long it takes, or how long it lasts. And I say my philosophy is: you will grieve someone you love as long as you love them. And if you really love them, you'll probably grieve them for the rest of your life. But there's different ways of grieving. You know, the, the deep sobs and the not being able to get out of bed the, the first couple of weeks isn't where you can stay forever. And as you start to move forward and you can start putting things in a, in a more positive perspective, it gets uh, softer. The edges aren't so sharp as, as you move forward. So do you still write those letters then from maybe from time to time? Absolutely. I'll, I'll do some, uh, a really profound one that I had recently was when I had decided to create this group called the Grief and Happiness Alliance for people to get together online and write together and talk about their writing and learn happiness practices and get to know each other. So they've got somebody with something deeply in common with them that they can befriend. And before I did that, I thought, you know, I think this is a really good idea, but I'm not sure if anybody else is going to think it's a good idea. <laughs> so I started a pilot program and invited people that I knew from around the country to go through the process and see what they thought. And on the last day, the last meeting that we had with this pilot group, I was having this uh, conundrum about what to charge for it, because I really didn't want to charge because I think people don't shouldn't have to pay to deal with their grief. And one of the people in the group said, well, that's easy. We'll just start a nonprofit organization and then we'll be able to support what happens there and you won't have to worry about that. And I was so relieved. I thought, this is great. And then one of the women in the group, she was a minister and she uh, had been writing a lot with me online. I, I have a Facebook group too. And she was just writing the most beautiful things. And she was, she was, a warm, positive person that was real easy to talk to. And at the end of the meeting, she like sat up real straight and had this serious look on her face and said, it sounded like in somebody else's voice, this is an idea whose time has come. And it was like, whoa. Well, a couple of days later, she died. And I was quite stricken by that. And I thought, well, you know, I decided I'd write wrong, that I thought he would be the one that would get what I was writing about. And I said, you know, I'm, I thought I was doing the right thing with creating this alliance. And I wasn't sure, you know, what I was doing and everything. And I so wish that you were here and you could tell me what you thought. And in that moment, it came to me, him saying, I already told you on Sunday. Oh, that's outstanding. And yeah. That was her, he, his voice through her uh -huh. that told me I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Wow, so that's an amazing connection that you made there. And it sounds like when you, when you said it wasn't her voice and stand up and did that, it's, it's yeah. communication. And, and, you know, I can't tell you where all that comes from and whether it's, it's absolutely true or not, but that's what I experienced. Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't have to explain it. Some, some people get so caught up in explaining everything down to the last detail. Sometimes it just happens and you have to accept it. 
Mm-hmm. And and for whatever reason it it happened, it's, it's like that January, it's like that New Year's resolution that you did, and then you got a call to be an editor. The invitation started coming. You know, you could you you, you can't it's some things you just can't prove. It's not like a math problem where you've got mm-hmm. a single answer. So I think because everything is about emotion and and it's it's about there, there's a it's not the force, but there is sort of a vibe that goes through all of us, I think, at some point in time. And when you have a conversation with somebody like with my guests and stuff, I get sort of this, uh, you know, vibe that that, that that goes between us. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's stronger in person than it is over Zoom. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. <laughs> back out in front of an audience to do that. That's so much more powerful. But that's uniquely human mm-hmm. that, that experience. And I think sometimes that we we focus more on why this is happening or how it's happening than the, than rather the what, which is the important part. Yes, what what is very important. And I've also found that beyond getting all that monkey mind stuff out of your head, there are some things you need to do personally to be able to be really open to writing, to be really open to communicating. And one of those is to forgive yourself. And to forgive anybody else for anything that happened so that you're not carrying these stories around because those stories can, they can bring you down uh, and they can be simple things that, that wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. But think about that. Another thing is to decide that you're not a victim, that you are responsible for what you do. And that's cool. And, and, it, and it works. And when you start kind of shedding all this stuff, you can get down to the, the uh, core of what life is all about. And that's when I was to the point where I, I realized that I'm happier now than I ever have been. When, when I got through all those things, even though I've been through a whole lot more grief than just my two husbands, and we all grieve, like you said. Yeah, my, my parents, my sister, friends. Uh, family and and from anything that you can think of from from industrial accidents to murder to suicide to car accidents uh not just cancer or natural deaths that that people get to that i've experienced all that and i could choose to wallow in that and feel sorry for myself about how all those things happen or i could choose to remember the really good things about the relationships that I had with all those people and focus on that. And, and if I really get stuck on one person, start writing about them, you know, and it's not necessarily for anybody else to write. I could just write in my journal about that. And that's, that's one of the kind of things we do when we get together to write. That's, that's outstanding advice to, to go through. We're all, it's not a pressure valve or it's not anything else, but it's, it's a way to process and, and, and you're right, you, the people that have come and we've lost, we need to be appreciative and grateful for the things that they taught us along the way, because if it weren't for that, and maybe even their passing, I know when my dad died, I learned to, hey, I was a man of the house, had to grow up and that assume everybody dies, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't want to go the way that he did. So I took some steps to make sure that I, you know, I, I didn't do that, but um yeah, I mean, there's there's things to take out of it and and move forward. And so, how do you when you're walk, working with people here? And how do you because it sounds like you get them to sort of free them again, free themselves of the monkey mind that then lets them think of these stories. So, if, if you're writing, you want to have if you're writing a book or something, 
maybe it's a fiction book you want to create this sort of storyline that goes on with the hero mm-hmm. on that how do you do you have some tips to sort of teach people how to sort of think in that mindset get out of what they've known and be a little bit more creative yeah, when you when you get rid of all this stuff that I was talking about and you, you get kind of down to your source, then you can start drawing out on things like that. And what happens with me, sometimes I'll be writing something and I'll think of a story that I want to include that's not related to right then. And I used to say, oh, I'll remember that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> so when I get to that, I've, I've got some place where I can write down, remember this story about this. And then you can get back to that without that clouding your information, trying to remember that thing that's preventing you from writing what you're writing about right now. Yeah. I used to, when I would go out on a run, when I could run, those were times I was alone and my mind would sort of clear up and I could solve problems. And I'd come up with some really good ideas. And I had to get to the part where, because I didn't run with music, but I have to get to stop where I have to pull out my phone. Hey, take a voice note. <laughs> so I could, and I had to, I find that I have to be pretty elaborate about the note. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, what the hell is these three words mean? I, at the time, they made sense, but I don't, you know, as I go on, I don't know what they mean. That's my challenge right now. <laughs> I've, I've been working really hard on writing a complete sentence instead of just writing down those three words, knowing that I'll remember what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, now it just frustrates me more to look at it. So I, I took the time to write it down and now I can't remember it. So you, you've, you've, got, you've got the book there that you've written too about this and you've got the, the, uh, the, the group that goes on that, uh, and we'll put all this contact information in the show notes and all that. Uh, what else do you, you have a podcast too, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my podcast is Grief and Happiness. And I, I got to that point to do that because my book, the name of it is Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. And it gives uh, each each chapter is an example about something that you deal with when, when you're grieving. And at the end of each chapter, there's an exercise, something that you can do to help you deal with whatever the chapter was about. So I felt really good about that, but I still felt like there was something missing. And I had read a book after Jacques died called Happy for No Reason by Marcy Shimoff. And it's really, really good. And I, I recalled that book. So I started looking online to see what I could find out. And I discovered she had a, a training program to be able to teach all of her happiness techniques and all of her research that she's done. And that you didn't have to teach a happy for no reason class. You could incorporate this happiness into whatever you were doing. And I thought, that's it, grief and happiness. So I became a certified happy for no reason trainer. But now I'm able to incorporate that happiness because the the thing about grief that gets people down the most is they think it's sad. It's bad. I'll never get over it. I'll never be happy again. And I know both my husbands were very happy and they would both be very disappointed in me if I sat around and cried for the rest of my life. They would expect me to find something to be happy about in life. And yeah. so I've, I've started incorporating happiness into anything that I do about grief. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure Jacques and Ron are having a couple glasses of wine watching how you just sort of <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Um, uh, and I'm sure they're happy they met each other too, because it just sounds like you're such a wonderful person and connected. Oh, thank you. Uh, and thanks for sharing your story. Uh, you know, I, hopefully it'll impact some, some people here again. We'll put all this stuff in the show notes, reach out to reach out to her, uh, you know, get her book available where books are sold. 
Uh, but Emily, thanks for spending some time with us from Hawaii. I know you got another a great day to go out and enjoy. It's a beautiful place. Been there a few times. And it helped. It's a happy place, too. So yes, it is. It is a happy place. <laughs> so thanks a lot and, and good luck. And thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me.